Everyone in this room knows somebody that's currently being affected by depression. On medication, maybe, or hasn't got what, that far in their journey yet. I mean, I, I reckon I've probably got about 10 close friends who are currently suffering with depression. And I don't have many friends. <laughs> so it's a really rampant problem. This is not something I've actually experienced personally. I mean, I, when the topic came up, I looked at it and went, I can't talk on this. This is not something I have felt. This is not something that I've personally had to deal with. And therefore, I'm not going to belittle it by trying to tell you how to do everything because I don't know. I could tell you about how to support friends who are going through depression. But my advice would probably be quite bad. Therefore, I've asked a very good friend of mine, Mark Triggs, to come talk to us. Now, Mark, I've just asked him, and he's been living with depression on medication for the past 16 and a half years. Now, to put that into context, Joe was 10. <laughs> <laughs> Told you I'd get you. <laughs> but then, Joe's 26. So 16 and a half years ago, how old does that make you guys? I was still in secondary school. Not trying to make you feel old. I'm just old. trying to point out the amount of experience this man has on this subject. And he's openly talked about it before. So I'm really grateful that you've come. Let's pray for you. Then we've got a video to run. And then Mark's going to uh, share with us. So Lord, I thank you for Mark. I thank you for his willingness to come and share about this difficult subject with us. And I pray that you all bless him. And your words be said. Amen. Really chilled about this um, until I've just seen that film and shared it with you and um, <laughs> it brings it all back and it makes it tough. I, I noticed somebody kindly put the tissues from the nachos here just in case I <laughs> break into floods of tears and so on. Oh thank you, okay. Um, just one thing quickly, John. You said you haven't got very many friends, and yet you know at least nine or ten people who are suffering this. Do you think you might be the common denominator? It had crossed my okay. mind. Okay. I mean, the only saving grace is the fact that Dawn doesn't seem to be that bad, and she spends the most time with me. So it's either that or she is just the anomaly. I don't know. Okay. The, the, the exception that proves the rule. Anyway. Um, Thank you so much for that, Lucy. Um, really heart-rending and powerful stuff. Um, welcome to all of you. Those for whom that short film rings all too familiar. Those for whom it doesn't. And to all the black dogs who were trailed in with this first group, welcome to you too as well. Um, as John said, our subject today is If God Loves Me, why do I have depression? Now, I believe that that, word for word, is how one of you here honestly expressed the question that was on your heart, and that others of you have voted to hear an answer. I have to admit that I, in turn, have a question about how you've framed your question, and that might point to an answer for you. Um, but first, it will help to provide a bit of context. John has provided some, but um, John specifically asked me if I'd tackle this question and talk on the subject as I've grappled with depression and mental health problems for 16 and a half years now. 
I'm personally very familiar with The Black Dog, of that film, and he's become an ever-present feature in my life during that time. So familiar indeed, he's almost become a friend and a strange source of comfort, in that he's a constant reminder, even in his absence, of the fragility of this mortal life and the futility in self-reliance as we navigate our fourscore years and ten or whatever we've got on this earth. In fact, as I prepared this talk, um, I'm lucky enough to have an office that looks out on a working barn that's got some ewes and some little lambs in it at the moment, and the farmer was feeding them. And he's got this new, cute, little black dog. I've never seen it before. He's got an old, manky sort of farm dog as well, but he's got this really cute new little black dog. And he was outside helping the farmer with feeding these newborn lambs. And that's sort of a bit how my black dog has become. That's why I say it might sound strange, but he's become almost a source of comfort and a friend. Um, secondly, a little word of clarification and dispelling of what I hear quoted so much, but it's a misguided fact. Um, and this is courtesy of my auntie, who herself suffers from depression, and shared this with me when she first heard about my struggles um, with the same. Depression is an affliction of the strong and not of the weak. I'm not saying that to you for comfort for me, it is something that I have absolutely come to know to be the fact. Let me repeat it again. Depression is an affliction of the strong and not of the weak. So if you are grappling with the black dog, don't believe the lie that it's because you are weak. Emphatically, you are not. You are strong. Thirdly, as you probably gathered already, um, this is Mark's little black book guide to the black dog, okay? Um, and it's not a religious thesis, um, though I will get on some biblical truths shortly, which are at the heart of treating this affliction. Um, but this is very much a layman's view, and not either a medical nor a spiritual one, though it's acutely personal and from lived experience. So I tell you, as it said in the film, antidepressants can help. I tried Sertalopram, Prozac, and Sertraline before I hit upon Escitalopram as my chosen means of boosting the levels of um, serotonin in my brain. The serotonin is the natural neurotransmitter that gives you the feel-good factor. So I've been taking Escitalopram, or as I like to think of it, my happy hormone, now since 2003. Consistently, that is, save for two brief and ill-fated attempts to come off it, which ended in relapse. So I just don't go there now, and I'm chilled about the fact that I may take it for the rest of my life. Certainly while I continue to live life how I do currently, and asking rather too much of myself day by day. So too, uh, I wasn't sleeping well, and I went through night nurse and temazepam and doxepine and zolpidem and any number of other pills and potions and antihistamines and other remedies other people swore blind would work before I hit upon something called zopiclone, which will guarantee me a deep night's sleep and probably a deep day's sleep following as well. My point is, 
to listen to your body. And only you know what is working for you and what isn't. And don't be afraid to try different things. Indeed, my attitude when I was first really struck down, I think I probably had a prior episode in 1998, but 2003 was when it completely stopped me in my tracks. Um, my attitude was I would try anything just to feel better. You know, bring it on, whatever it was. Um, and as the film said, there is no magic bullet. Sorry. There is no magic bullet. And you will have to find your way of coping with your condition, or your friend will have to find their way of coping with their condition. Yes, drugs may help. So can exercise help, as the film said. And also, John Smith said that this morning in his excellent talk on Jesus' command, do not worry. Um, quite a lot of people here won't have heard that. They weren't, they weren't here this morning. If you didn't catch it, I would highly recommend you have a listen via the Listen Again page on the church website. So too can professional help and counselling, diet, emotional honesty with friends, talking about it, keeping a record journal of your moods, recording what you're grateful for, and a whole host of other things. Indeed, as I said already, listening to your body is an absolute must. That's why you strong people shut down in the first place. It was God's way with me of forcing me to back off the accelerator and to give myself a break for a while. I wasn't doing it myself, and God had to take control. And it may even be for a long while, as it was with me, and to not drive yourself too hard, and to not be so hard on yourself, and to not beat yourself up so spectacularly when you don't meet your own, and for that read, meet my own, ridiculously high standards for myself. Fourthly, and this is still just introduction, by the way, or well, this is the bit which is my, my experience, my lived experience. Um, again, John Smith kicked off his talk this morning with reference to the U-version um, Holy Bible app. Um, I don't know, again, he had a large share of hands that people use that or whatever. Try things out and find what works for you. But there are a couple of plans there that I've found great or whatever. Um, one is called Breaking Free from Depression, and feel free to ask me afterwards if you are interested. Um, it's actually a devotional in which a guy called Dr. Carl Benzio, who's a Christian psychiatrist, and he uses actual psychological science um, about how God designed our mind to work to unpack depression from a biblical perspective. And he looks at causes and symptoms and especially ways to find freedom from depression and access God's peace and joy. Um, there's another one called God is With You Always, which study looking at how God never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is with us through all things. So finally, by way of introduction, um, apologies to those, and they are relatively few, but to those who heard me talk back last summer about sharing your treasure as you'll hear echoes from my thoughts then, this evening. Um, but God in his perfect way has been preparing me, and I believe you, for this evening. And it was no coincidence that John spoke this morning on Do Not Worry. 
it's a really strong biblical command that will help you if you're somebody who's prone to depression. So to our question, um, John did the show of hands. Clearly, lots of us suffer with depression. You saw the crowd with black dogs everywhere um, on the film. Let me start by saying there is absolutely nothing wrong in suffering with depression. Whatever other people may think, think or say, there is nothing whatsoever shameful in it. It doesn't mean you're bad or abnormal or flawed or naughty. Give yourself a break. Not only are you not those things, indeed you are perfectly and beautifully 100% normal. And you are a perfect creation made in God's image exactly as he intended you to be. Please get it out of your head that this is a bad thing or that you've done anything wrong or that God loves you any the less. And herein lies the rub. God really does love you. He loves you with all his heart and mind and body and soul, with his entire humongous celestial being. This God that created the heavens and the earth and all things in them and flung stars into space, this almighty God loves little old you and little old me with as much love, indeed even more love, that I see, for instance, in Ruth's face when she looks on Daniel, her son or whatever. It's mind-bending and inexplicable and impossible to get our heads around. But God loves us with a love so intense and pure and powerful and spiritual that I don't believe we'll ever really fathom it. And this is where I take issue with the original question as it kicks off with a, a striking uncertainty about the undeniable certainty of God's love. Very famous verse from John 3. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I know that when my black dog is overpowering me and dragging me into depression, it's a dead cert that I've forgotten to acknowledge, recognize, or even remember Jesus' perfect love for me. I was suffering just such a relapse back last summer when I spoke in church for the very first time, but God wasn't going to let me forget his love for me. As I prepared belatedly for my talk, my Friday morning verse from you version was from Matthew 6, where it says, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. My Freedom in Christ daily devotional on that Friday was entitled Dealing with Anxiety and it's cited as its key text from Philippians 4. 
uh, starting verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And that command is immediately followed by a precious promise. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I was drawn to 1 Peter where Peter wrote, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. A dear Christian friend texted me as follows, I've been praying for you this week that God will fill you with his knowledge and the words he wants you to bring to the congregation on Sunday. Also, that he'll give you peace and bat away any concerns. And another shared from 2 Corinthians, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Are you beginning to see the picture that this blind beggar finally saw? Admittedly, it had to be sort of rammed down my throat as I'm not very good at hearing God. But this, this life that you are leading, that I'm leading, is exactly the life that God promised us. This is the life we should expect. As these few passages attest, God very definitely never promised a life without worries and cares, without troubles on every side, without being knocked down, without depression. But God said that he'd take on all of those worries. God guaranteed he'd be there for us, always. He promised. And a God promise is a good promise to hang your hat on. He never lets us down. He loves us far too much for that. So, as the black, black dog prowls around, or as I greet him as a friend, I have a choice. We have a choice. You 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 have a choice. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. Do I succumb to the feeling, the emotion, the sense of anxiety, the depression? Or do I believe on the truth of God's love for me, however bleak things feel? And this is the truth. Um, and I read this out in its entirety. And I'm just looking at time, and I may, I may drop a couple of them, but um, it's been really neatly brought together by the Freedom in Christ team on a, a single A6 postcard um, entitled 20 Cans of Success. I, I can do something. Um, I commend it, and indeed the whole series of postcards from Freedom in Christ. If anyone wants this one, feel free to steal it off me at the end. Um, if you want to give it a go, but um, so I hope you'll forgive me. I, I think I'll. There are 20 on here. I'll probably share about 16 of them. 
Um, and perhaps if you just want to close your eyes and dwell on these words and visualize their power as I share them slowly. Why should I say I can't when the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Why should I worry about my needs when I know that God will take care of all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? Why should I fear when the Bible says God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. Why should I be weak when the Bible says that the Lord is my strength, sorry, is the strength of my life, and that I will display strength and take action because I know God? Why should I allow Satan control over my life when he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world? Why should I accept defeat when the Bible says that God always leads me in victory? Why should I worry and be upset when I can cast all my anxieties on Christ who cares for me? Why should I ever be in bondage knowing that Christ has set me free and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom? Why should I feel condemned when the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Why should I feel alone when Jesus said he is with me always and he will never leave me nor forsake me? Why should I feel like I am cursed when the Bible says that Christ rescued me and the curse of the law, that I might receive his spirit by faith. Why should I feel worthless when Christ became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God? Why should I feel helpless in the presence of others when I know that if God is for me, nobody or nothing greater can be against me? Why should I be confused when God is the author of peace and he gives me knowledge through his spirit who lives in me? Why should I feel like a failure when I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loved me, as we were singing a moment ago? Why should I let the pressures of life bother me when I can take courage knowing that Jesus has overcome the world and its problems? And why should I be depressed when I can call to mind God's loving kindness, compassion and faithfulness and have hope? Please feel free to open your eyes. God loves you. And he loves me. And he has promised never to forsake us. And in that context, I can believe that this moment's depression will indeed pass sometime and I'll feel whole again. 
So I ask you, do you now, like me, through the process God took me through last summer and this week in preparation for my talk this evening, know, and I mean really know, with a steady, certain heart knowledge deep in your being, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep Christ's love is, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Do you know? So, I pray now that when next the black dog descends, black fog even, the black fog descends, that you'll focus not on your depression, but on God's immeasurable love for you. And that in doing so, your troubles will pale into insignificance. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I hope um, this has been helpful. I'm going to hang around at the end, uh, somewhere quiet, and probably because people will be having fellowship and having a bite to eat and something to drink. I'll probably go through in the room at the back, or we may be in here, depending on where we can find some quiet space. And I'd love to pray with anyone who feels that would be helpful for them. So please do seek me out if you'd like that. And now I just suggest that we break into small groups, probably at the tables that we sat at, and John fairly carefully you might have to do some work where you're sat at the moment, but um, if we just break for five, five minutes or so, or five to ten minutes, and talk honestly with each other about how you feel about what I've shared, or about your own struggles with mental health troubles, and we might feel the burden ease and we might share and know God's love for us. Uh, one of the issues that I think came up from this group, John said that you were discussing it there, and Tina was very much talking about it, similar issue on our group. Um, so I thought it'd be helpful to share it with everyone. Um, and the question to me was, if I'm having one of those bad hours or days or weeks or months or years or decades or whatever, um, how do I want people to treat me? How do I want people to approach me? And on our table, it was actually, you know, what do I do if a friend's struggling? You know, how do I respond, if you sort of mean? Um, the answer I gave initially um, was about just be there, be available, be, you know, open to being, being a friend, be open to either being a shoulder to cry on, an ear to listen to somebody, you know, a friend to help out, to somebody to bring the tissues and to mop up the tears or whatever it is. But Tina really helpfully shared something, which is um, for those who are Christians, and I've got no reason to believe that everyone here isn't one of those, um, you've got the King of Kings in you. You've got the Lord of Lords who has magically, fantastically, wonderfully piece plans together, which is why you're all here at this moment in time and I happen to be up here talking to you and so on. 
and be open to promptings, be open to his word. She was talking about a particularly difficult time in her life, but I hope you don't mind me sharing more widely. Um, and a friend felt prompted to call her, and Tina initially, Tina is the mark in this situation, is, you know, under the, the cloud, is sort of ignore it sort of thing. But then she picked it up, and this friend said, look, Simon, who I presume was her partner or husband or whatever, Simon's coming to get you. If you're not here within 10 minutes, he's coming to get you, you know. And so she went, so do also, we are God's eyes and ears and legs and hands and, you know, and tissue bearers and so on in this life. So listen to promptings. If there's openness, if, if you've created an environment with friends, which means people do feel able to be open, not shouting about it. You know, I hope nobody thinks I shout about it, but I'm willing to talk about it, you know. So if people have, if you've created that situation of trust, then, you know, it should be that you can listen for those prompts and so on. It may be that your call actually is something that makes the difference in that person's life at that particular moment in time. So I think that second part of the answer is, is really important as well. Um, sadly, also, we spoke about the fact that suicide is the single biggest killer of blokes between the age of 20 and 40. Um, that is just shocking and should be totally avoidable. Well, in the extreme, that could be something that if you're open to God's prompting in your life, that you can avoid such a situation in a friend's life or whatever. Yeah.